Hey, good morning, church, again, and uh, good to have you with us, and also those that are online. Uh, if you have your Bibles, I want you to turn. It's an Old Testament book of Numbers. It's Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers. It's the fourth book. And if you're sitting in our worship center, and we now have the Pew Bibles back there, it's page 119. So you can turn to 119 and look like a pro. All righty. Uh, when Janice and I bought our, our very first house when we lived here in Birmingham, uh, when I was working with the phone company, uh, we bought a house in Pelham. And uh, after we purchased the house, a real estate agent was showing us around and she took us to the garage and they, she pointed to something on the side and she said, this is a water pressure control valve. And it's really important, uh, she says, because where we are in Pelham right now, they're having a difficult time regulating the water pressure, and you really need to have this because there's so much pressure that's running, running through there. And being a first-time homeowner, I said, yeah, that's fine, it's great, good to know that. And I was just excited to be in a house. And for a number of months, everything went well and things were fine. And then all of a sudden, we found that our toilets seemed to be running a little bit longer. And then all of a sudden, there were some faucets that seemed to be leaking along the way. Then we discovered that our washing machine that was on the second floor had been leaking. And so we had to take care of that. And uh, not even thinking any of this was connected, then boom, one day, the dishwasher, everything came. And all the water came flowing out of there, and it flooded our kitchen. And I discovered that that water pressure control valve, it had been wearing out and it finally just was shot. And when it did, poof, that pressure came through there and everything kind of exploded on us. You know, there were some warning signs, but I didn't really pay attention to them. And as that pressure continued, continued to build, there finally came a time where it just popped. Listen, pressure, we all have it. And we live in a pressure-packed world, and we all have an internal pressure control valve that we need to monitor. Now, Jay Hudson Taylor, who's one of the pioneer missionaries in China, made this statement about pressure. He says, it matters not how great the pressure is, only where the pressure lies. If we make sure it never comes between us and our Lord, then the greater the pressure, the more it presses us to him. Pressure. The greater the pressure, the more it presses us to him. That's why I'm going to be preaching on you today, and that is pressing into Jesus. For these next four months, excuse me, next four months, <laughs> next four Sundays, next four Sundays, uh, we're going to be looking at Numbers 11, 12, 13, and 14. And we are going to watch the children of Israel as they begin these sort of wilderness wanderings. Now, just kind of get you all caught up uh, before we get to numbers is, you know, the children of Israel were in captivity in Egypt for over 400 years. Uh, God called Moses to get them out of captivity and take them to the promised land that had been promised 500 years ago to Abraham. And so Moses goes, the 10 plagues take place. Finally, they let the people go. They get to the Red Sea. God splits the Red Sea. And for the next year, he does miracle after miracle. 
He provides manna. That means food every day for them. It's like a little do-like do-like bread, and you'll see that when we read about it a little bit more. So every day they had manna. He provided miracles to get them uh, water in a rock. He provided them protection, and he got them to Mount Sinai. And then God spoke to Moses. He gave them the Ten Commandments and gave them other laws. And then all of a sudden it was time to move. They began to move, and whenever they moved, His presence was always with them. There was a cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. And when the cloud moved, they would move. When the cloud stopped, they stopped. And they did this for about a year. And when you get to Numbers chapter 11, they are picking up their journey. He said, I just want you to think about it. They've been doing this for a year. Now, God has promised them that there is this incredible land that you're going to. You came out of slavery in Egypt. You're going to go through desert wilderness and then you're going to hit that promised land. Well, I got a feeling some of them didn't think it was going to take a year to at least get this far. And there's a little bit of pressure that's built up. There's some changes that have been happening. There are different stresses that, that they have. And so when you read chapters 11, 12, 13, and 14, you are seeing this pressure building up and you're seeing the way that people respond and also the way that leaders respond. But more importantly, you're going to see how God responds. And I believe that uh, we will be able to see these transferable principles in our own lives. Okay? So follow me, follow with me on this. And I think it's going to be a fascinating journey. All righty? Numbers chapter 11, starting in the fourth verse. Okay? Starting in the fourth verse. We're going to read certain sections of this and then just break it down. First of all, chapter uh, chapter 11, verse 4. He says, now the rabble that was among them had a strong craving. And the people of Israel also wept again and said, oh, that we had meat to eat. We remember the fish that we ate in Egypt that cost nothing. The cucumbers, the melons, the leeks, the onions, and the garlic. But now our strength is dried up and there's nothing at all but this manna to look at. Now, the manna was like coriander seed, its appearance like that of delium. And the people went about, they'd gather it, they ground it in hand mills or beat it in, in mortars, and they boiled it in pots and made cakes of it. The taste of it was like the taste of cakes baked with oil. And when the dew fell upon the camp at the night, the manna fell with it. So, first thing is this as the pressure builds, as the pressure builds, Three things. Number one, unhealthy voices attempt to influence your personal airwaves. Leave it on there for just a moment. Why don't you write this down? Unhealthy voices attempt to influence your personal airwaves. It'd been a year, and all of a sudden, in verse four, it says, the rabble. Now, we're not really certain who the rabble is. Most people believe that when the children of Israel left Egypt, there were others that joined them. And this is what the rabble, the non-Israelite people who had been traveling with them for about a year, and they were on the fringes of the camp, all of a sudden, they began to talk about the craving for the foods that they had back in Egypt, specifically meat. And they began to crave for those things of Egypt. And they began to spread their discontent with others. And then the more they talked to these other people, other people said, yeah, you know, I missed that too. Yeah, I missed that too. And all of a sudden, all these seeds of discontent start spreading through the camp. And then it got so bad where people were weeping 
over it. And people were complaining. And so this thing is just getting, getting out of hand. And what has happened is these unhealthy voices are starting to influence these people. And they come in verse five. And in verse five, it says, we remember... And I laughed when I read this because it's like taking a virtual tour down a grocery aisle. And, and they talk about, we remember the fish. Oh, yeah, remember that fish? It was incredible. And then they said over here, the cucumbers, the melons, the leeks, the onions, oh, the garlic. Oh, my gosh. You know, and they're, they're just talking about all these great things from Egypt. But in the memories of all of this, they have completely forgotten what their lot in life was. They were slaves <laughs> and they were being beaten by their masters. They had inhumane work conditions. They were having their children killed. And yet they forgot all about that stuff and all they're doing is just thinking about that wonderful food. And these unhealthy voices were actually leading them back into slavery. Well, their reminiscing then led to whining, and then when they're whining, they began to discount God's mercy, and they were completely disconnected from his provisions. And they're just whining, saying, we really need me, because all I see here every day is the same old manna. Well, listen, there are no fish and there are no vegetables in the desert, but there ain't any other food in the desert. The only reason they have any food in the desert is because God provided it every single day for them. And he provided water for them. He provided food for them. And for this whole year, he has provided everything they need. But you know what? Those unhealthy voices that began to speak into their heads got them to completely discount all of God's mercy and all of his provision. You just think that for that one year, not one single day had they lacked anything. They didn't lack food. They didn't lack drink, clothing, shelter, protection, security, or hope. And yet in the midst of all of that, they just kept saying, oh, wish we were back in Egypt. In fact, at the, verse six, it says, it gotten so bad, they said that my strength is dried up. My strength is dried up. I've just lost any kind of willpower. I just can't go on. Really? Uh, what has happened? A few unhealthy voices polluting their minds to question Moses' leadership, God's mercy, God's provision. And it's trying to get them to throw away all that they knew of God, throw away his designs, his purposes, and his plans, all for the purpose to satisfy some craving. We live in a pressure-packed world with lots of changes taking place. This weekend, you heard him talk a little bit about on Shades New that Crave, we had over 220 students, and they were informed and enlightened about how some social media platforms can inundate them with false narratives. And through the sheer volume of these unhealthy voices, their ideology gains a foothold in their minds and can lead them to destructive choices. We all need to gain control of our personal airwaves and pay attention to the voices of those that you hang out with and who you listen to and then filter them through Philippians chapter four, verse eight. And where Paul says, finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Tune out those unhealthy voices. But I'm telling you, 
When pressure begins to build, it's a ripe opportunity for them to come into your life. Number two is reading Numbers chapter 11, uh, verses 10 through 15. And so look at Numbers chapter 10, verses 11 through 15. And as pressure builds, leaders lose perspective and hope. Verse 10, Moses heard the people weeping throughout their clans, everyone at the door of his tent, and the anger of the Lord blazed hotly and Moses was displeased. This was a bad day. This is a bad day. Everybody's standing at the door of their tent. They're complaining. Now, since Moses is the leader, do you believe there was anyone that was disparaging Moses himself? If any of you say no, it means you've never been in leadership, okay? <laughs> Naturally, they're gonna be talking bad about Moses. They're talking bad about him. They're complaining about him. They're complaining about God. And everybody's weeping and complaining. And God himself, he's getting kind of hot too. He's getting upset about this. And it says, and Moses was displeased. So what does Moses do? He goes right to God and he unloads. Starting in verse 11, he says, Moses said to the Lord, why have you dealt ill with your servant? And why have I not found favor in your sight that you lay the burden of all this people on me? Did I conceive all, uh, all this people? Did I give them birth that you should say to me, carry them in your bosom as a nurse carries a nursing child to the land that you swore to give their fathers? Where am I to get meat to give to all these people? For they weep before me and they say, give us meat that we may eat. I'm not able to carry all this people alone. The burden is too heavy for me. Listen, if you're gonna treat me like this, just kill me at once. And if I find favor in your sight that I may not see my wretchedness. Leaders lose perspective and hope. I mean, Moses has become a victim of all this building pressure. And just as the people are sick and tired of manna, he's sick and tired of the people. And he's letting God know about it. And when he comes to him, he says, why have you dealt ill with your servant? He has completely lost perspective. God's not upset with Moses. He's upset with the grumblers. And then he says, over here, he says, why'd you give me this burden to carry me, carry all these people in there? God never gave him that burden. God never told him that he was the one that was gonna carry them. He was going to lead them, but it was God that was going to carry them into the promised land. In fact, in Deuteronomy 131, right when they get ready to step into the promised land, they, they used the, the, the uh, analogy of God carried us like a father carries his son. You know, when your children are real young, you put them on your shoulders and you get to carry them around. That's kind of what it's like. And this is what God was going to do and carry them through there. And he says, no, your perspective is completely wrong. And then he says, where am I going to get the resources and the meat? And God says, you can trust me. But you see what's happened when the pressure began to build, the leader loses all perspective and he lost hope. He said, the burden is just too much for me. Just take me out right now. Just take me out. I, I just can't keep on going. Let me tell you the third. When pressure builds, followers question the Lord, his plans and his purposes. When pressure builds, followers question the Lord, his plans and his purposes. Verse 16 through 20. It says, then the Lord said to Moses, gather for me 70 men of the elders of Israel 
whom you know to be the elders of the people and officers over them, and bring them to the tent of meeting and let them take their stand there with you. And I will come down and talk with you there, and I'll take some of the spirit that's on you and put it on them, and they shall bear the burden of the people with you so that you may not bear it yourself alone. And it say to the people, Consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow you shall eat meat, for you have wept in the hearing of the Lord, saying, who will give us meat to eat, for it was better for us in Egypt. This is what the people said. It was better for us in Egypt. Therefore, the Lord will give you meat, and you shall eat. You shall not eat just one day, or two days, or five days, or 10 days, or 20 days, but a whole month until it comes out at your nostrils and becomes loathsome to you. Just thankful that you're at the nine o'clock and not the 1030 service. You know, they're looking to lunch and this is not a good picture. Are you ready? All right, because, and why is this? Look what they said, because you have rejected the Lord who is among you and have wept before him saying, why? Did we come out of Egypt? Followers, when pressure builds, followers begin to question the Lord. They question his plans and their purposes. Three things they said. Who's gonna give us meat? It was better for us in Egypt. Really? Had they forgotten how bad it was in Egypt? Had they forgotten God's provisions this whole past year? You see, their focus was strictly on their selfish desires and their cravings with no regard to God's provisions, his plans, or his purposes. It was all about me and then these desires. I've got these cravings right here. And then he says, you have rejected the Lord, and I love the way he said it, who is among you. You've rejected the Lord who is among you. God is not some inanimate object. God is a personal, holy being. And he says, I have been with you. I am holy. I am omniscient. I am the all-powerful creator, and I am right here among you. I've shown you miracles. I've got a cloud by day. I've got a pillar by, by night. I give you manna every day. Never are they out of his presence. Never are they out of his view. He says, I've been with you for the entire year. And how can you then come back and say uh, that, um, that you are rejecting me who is just all around you? And then the last thing they said, they questioned his whole plan when they said, why did we come out of Egypt? Why did we come out of Egypt? It's like God said, okay. Almost 500 years ago, maybe over 500 years ago, I met with a man by the name of Abraham and I said, you're gonna build a people and there's gonna be a land that we're gonna bring you to. Now you won't see that land, but your generations will. And they lived with that desire for when they would come to that land. They told the story over and over. Every Hebrew child that was born heard that story and just waited, hoping it could be their generation that could come to the land. And guess what? You're the generation. God comes in, gets them out of Egypt. He's taking them through the wilderness. You're getting ready to get into the promised land that is more beautiful and has got more uh, things that you can imagine. You've got it. It's set there for you. And you know what? They asked the question. So Why did we even come out of Egypt? So what has happened is this pressure has built. The followers begin to just completely lose sight of what God's plans and what God's purposes are. And pressure can lead you to question God on that. 
So you see what's happened is pressure builds. Unhealthy voices come into our mind. Leaders lose perspective and lose hope. Followers, all of us as followers, at times we kind of fall away and, and forget about God's plans and his purposes. So what are we supposed to do as that pressure builds and you look at that pressure release valve and it's just getting, that control valve's getting over here. What am I supposed to do? Let's do what Jay Hudson Taylor said and press into Jesus. So what does that mean? Press into Jesus real quickly. First thing it means is submit to God. And I want you to write that down because it's so important to submit to God because that's exactly what Moses did. When Moses, all the pressure built, who did he turn to? He turned to God. He went right to God. You say, well, Danny, he unloaded. God's not intimidated by that. God just wants you to come to him. And he submitted to him and he says, Lord, I've got all these questions. And you know how God responded to him? Next time somebody tries to feed you a line that, ooh, you can't really uh, uh, say things to God or even argue with him or question some things because he's gonna strike you down. You know what? He took everything that Moses had and he was supportive and he won condemning. And he said, okay, let's start out. Number one, you need some help. This is too much of a burden. Go find your 70 elders, bring the 70 elders, bring them to the tent of meeting. I will speak through you to them and we will, I will give my spirit and I'll place it on them and they will be able to help spiritually lead these people and that'll take some burden off of you, okay? Now, the question about meat, he says in verse 18, he says, um, I'll tell you, I will provide the meat. This is what you are to tell the people. Tell them exactly what I told you. You won't eat it for one day, two days, five days, 10 days, 20 days, it'll be 30 days and it'll come out of your nostrils, okay? Just say that, that whole thing. So what happened is he did exactly what he's supposed to. He submitted to God, but he still had a question. And I love this, verse 21 and 22. 21 and 22 says this, but Moses says, the people among whom I, uh, I am number 600,000 on foot, and you have said, I will give them meat that they may eat a whole month. Shall flocks and herds be slaughtered for them and be enough for them? Or shall all the fish of the sea be gathered together for them and be enough for them? I mean, Moses, he says, Lord, I appreciate you giving me this message, but the question is, is how in the world is this going to happen? And that is where we get to the second thing, and that is to believe in God's word and power. We have to believe in God's word and God's power. Submit to God first, but then you gotta believe in him. Believe in his word and believe in his power. And he asks the question, how will they get that meat? And this is what God says, verse 23. And the Lord said to Moses, is the Lord's hand shortened? Now you shall see whether my word will come true to you or not. We'll come back to that, but just 24 and 25. So Moses went out, he told the people the words of the Lord, he gathered 70 men of the elders of the people and he placed them around the tent. Then the Lord came down, just like he said he would, in the clouds, spoke to him, took some of the spirit, just like he said he would, that was on him, and he put it on the 70 elders, just as he said he would. And as soon as the spirit was rested on them, they prophesied, but they did not continue doing it. It's kind of a one-time deal on the prophecy. So, verse 23, is the Lord's hand shortened? Some of your translations may have, is his arm shortened? Kind of either the same. Is his hand shortened or his arm? What he's saying is, are you asking, am I strong enough? Are you asking, Moses, am I powerful enough? Is my arm shortened? 
And he used that great illustration because Moses could relate to this because it was just a year ago when they were standing at the edge of the Red Sea and the army, Egyptian army was coming behind him and they had no hope. And he says, Moses, stand up, outstretch your arm with the staff and you will see what the Lord will do. And he parted that Red Sea and they went right through that. And he says, it was the arm of the Lord that did that. Now you're telling me that I can't do this? I mean, there are millions of people here and I feed them every day with man and you're telling me that I can't get uh, meat for 600,000 foot soldiers over here and the rest of the people? And this is a great thing to keep in mind. Even just that phrase, if you just took that out of this sermon and said, and asked that question, is the Lord's arm shortened or is his hand shortened? Next time you come and are faced with some difficulties, and you say, well, I just don't know if God's up to this. Ask that question. Because his answer will be a resounding, my arm is not shortened. <laughs> I am the same yesterday, today, and forever. I am strong. I am powerful. And so, verse 24 to 25, Moses did exactly what God asked him to do, and God did exactly what he said he would do. Sometimes when pressure comes, it locks us up. We need to press into Jesus, believe his word and his power, be obedient and take steps of faith. See, that's why we said you believe it, but then you got to step out on it. And he did exactly what God told him to do. In them, see, the third thing is this, be aware of God's mercy and wrath. Be aware of God's mercy and wrath. Verse 31 then a wind from the Lord sprang up and it brought quail from the sea and he let them fall beside the camp about a day's journey on this side and a day's journey on the other side around the camp and about two cubits, three feet above the ground. And the people rose that day and all night and all the next day and gathered the quail and those who gathered least gathered 10 homers, that's probably about like um, 60 bushels, okay? 60, 50 to 60 bushels, and they spread them out for themselves all around the camp. What God is, he did something miraculous. He sent this strong wind which blew all these quail in there, and when they came in, uh, translations are different. Some say they were stacked up three feet. Others say they were just flying low at three feet. Boy, you can get a quail at three feet. And so, uh, so there they were, and they were able to, to get all these quail, and, and, it, and it was a day's journey. Think how far you could walk a day's journey. That's how far they were, and they were just gathering them from everywhere. Oh, people were so excited over there. And uh, they gather them all together, and then you get to verse 33. And while the meat was yet between their teeth, before it was consumed, the anger of the Lord was kindled against the people and the Lord struck down the people with a very great plague. Struck them down with a plague. And it says, therefore, the name of that place is called Kibroth and uh, Hadavah or whatever, K-H is what we like to call it. Uh, because there they buried the people who had the craving. That word in Hebrew means the graves of the craving. The graves of the craving. What happened is they've experienced God's mercy throughout. I mean, here he is. He's provided them everything that they've needed. But then because they were rebelling against him, they then 
began to experience God's wrath. Divine wrath is the action of a personal God who detests sin. John Stott puts it this way. God's wrath is his holy hostility to evil. His refusal to condone it or to come to terms with it. It is his just judgment upon it. God's wrath. And it is real. And God judges sin. And so with these people, as they continue to rebel against him, sometimes enough's enough. And he says, I've, I've got to exercise my wrath. And in his wrath, he gave the greedy Israelites exactly what they had craved for, and they suffered the consequences. And they kept craving for this. Okay, you'll get it. And so some people believe it was like that uh, maybe the food was like kind of like a food poisoning thing or something. And it could be the plague that spread throughout, throughout the, uh, the group. Not sure exactly what it was, but I know it was a plague because the Bible says it was. And for some, they died. And for others, they were just miserable. And at the end of 30 days, there wasn't one person that was ordering a quail burger uh, when they went to the store. I mean, they said, hey, manna's looking mighty, mighty good to me uh, right now. And um, I love the way they named that, the, cra- the graves of the craving, just to always remember that whenever we let our craving for just what we want to be able to supersede God's purposes and his plans, judgment will follow. And so the last thing is this, and this is our challenge. When we talk about pressing into Jesus, it is this, regain your appetite for the things of God. Regain your appetite for the things of God. So just think about that. Submit to God. Submit to him. And when you submit to God, you believe of his word and you believe his power and you take the steps of faith that are necessary. Always be aware of his mercy and also be aware of his wrath and let that continue to motivate you to follow him and live, with, live for him. But the final challenge is regain your appetite for the things of God. You see, what it meant was because they had a craving for the things of Egypt, it meant that they really didn't have a craving for the things of God. And all those voices that begin to speak to me from the outside world have a better chance of getting into my head and affecting my life when I begin to crave those more than I do the things of God. And we regain that appetite through worship and through sensing the greatness of God and what he has done for me. Spend time seeking him, reading scripture, and the more you do that, you just continue to fall in love with him. And you get to the point where there's this greater appetite of being with God and an appetite for the things of God. To encourage you with this, let me just mention in Hebrews 3.3, it pointed out that Jesus is greater than Moses. And it says, for Jesus has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses. It says Jesus is greater than Moses. Moses was their greatest leader in the Old Testament. And the reason is, Moses had all the burdens of the people. And he went to God and he said, the burden is too much, just take me out. You know what Jesus did? Jesus says, I will take the burden of all the sins of all the people put it on me, and I will die for those burdens. Thus, he is counted more worthy. Always remember what Jesus has done for us, and that when we remember that he was willing to die 
for our sins to carry our burdens, that when all the pressures of life begin to build up on us, press into him. He is the author and the founder of our faith, and he is the one that will get you through those pressure times and that little pressure control valve that you've got in, in you, it'll start heading down. And you'll be able to continue to flow the way you need to flow in life, bringing honor and glory to God in everything that you do. Okay? Let me leave us in a word of prayer. Father, thank you this day that your son, Jesus Christ, loved us so much and took our burdens on him that, um, that we can come into a right relationship with you. And Lord, I know that um, these, are, these are difficult days that we're living in. And we feel like we're getting hit by pressures from all around us. But may we be students of your word. May we be those who remain faithful to you. And as we are, we will bring honor and glory to you and hope, hope to be a witness to others, to show them how to walk through these days, trusting God in the midst of all the pressure. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.